Hello, I'm Karen Hardwick, and in addition to being a clinically and spiritually trained therapist, I am a leadership consultant. As a result of my work and my own messy and beautiful journey, I know that connection is the antidote. On this podcast, I talk with people, leaders from all walks of life, who embody connection to self, to amazing grace and as a result to others. My guests are those who bravely choose true connection, even as they walk through some hard times. They hold their stories and the stories of others lightly and lovingly with authenticity and grace, empathy and gratitude. They are the ones awakening, broken wide open into wholeness. We are all recovering from something, and the sharing of our stories is all about connection not perfection. I have a chair here just for you. We are saving you a seat. Don't miss this episode as we chat with Jonathan McCoy, founder of Faith and Valor, as he talks about how we build connection, unpack our stories, and do good work well. today with Jonathan McCoy, who helps leaders to unlock clarity, unravel complexity, and elevate their impact on their team, organizations, and communities. His work spans many industries, and I love that he calls himself a question asker and pattern noticer, because in that way, he helps organizations do good work well. He worked for many other consulting firms, including Accenture, before opening up his own firm, Faith and Valor, which allowed him to trade frequent flyer miles for the opportunity to deepen community and plant roots in Atlanta. He lives with his wife, who he refers to as the strongest woman he knows, and together with her, stewards four children who are tremendous human beings. Jonathan, I am so delighted to have you here today. Um, One of my meditations this morning was on a Bible verse that talks about how God takes delight in us. And and I just love that word, delight. And so honestly, I am truly delighted you are here. Um, We have so many common cornerstones, and I'm eager to dive right in. Karen, I I, I am humbled. Uh, This has been circled on my calendar as a highlight to the week. It's always fun to connect with people that care deeply. uh, And it's fun to just remind ourselves of how we got here and why we're here and where we're going. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Me too. So it was interesting because we connected through the power of connection. If I remember correctly, I had published a blog about the day my husband, who was dying from Alzheimer's, did not recognize me. And somehow or other, through a colleague we had in common, that blog got to you and you reached out. And I was so moved by that because how many times do we human beings get moved by something, but we don't hit the pause button to reach out? And you did that. You did reach out that day. You know, what, what's fascinating about that story is that that moment 
actually started years prior when our mutual colleague sent me one of your blogs from from years ago. Uh, and, and so these seeds had been planted. And that morning, when that blog came through, it it created a pause in me. Because when we create, part of us is input into our art. And as uh, an artist, that's what you do. And you have a fluency with living that kind of outside and fully. And uh, it uh, is a gift to often hold a mirror up to people to say, thank you. Uh, I see your art. I see you in this art. Um, and in doing so, I see me and I see my world around me a little differently. Mm. And so that that's what that was. That was a flare in the dark to say, uh, you know, you're not alone. Uh, I, I can't experience, I haven't experienced what you went through. Uh, but human to human, person to person, I see you. Mm. Well, I felt seen and it led us one email after another to here we are today to have this conversation about connection. And you say, we are built for connection. And I say to that, amen. So how do you build those connections, Jonathan, personally and professionally? What does that mean for you to be built for connection? I I think God designed us to live in community. I think God designed us to live uh, with one another. I think we see ourselves best through the eyes of others. I also think that, you know, one of the bits of connection that often gets overlooked, and 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 I've unabashedly, unashamedly stolen this from you, but leadership is an inside job. And as leaders, we often leave our head and our heart and our hands disconnected. And uh, one of the core values of my my life is integrity. That is the integration, the wholeness of head, heart, and hands. And so a lot of times in my work, and and I've seen it in yours as well, I sit across the table from leaders who are disintegrated. They are confused. There's lack of clarity about who they are uh, when their heart's calling them to one thing and their heads are calling them to something else. Uh, and so connectedness in in the world that I navigate looks like fluency between the head, heart, and the hands. And it looks like once we get into organizations, fluency among the body, right? That's, that's where we get corporation, corpus, meaning body. Uh, and, and a lot of times the body dies. Like that's where we also get the word corpse. And so when our, when our head, heart, hands and the body, the organism in which we find ourselves is connected and alive, uh, that's when I think magic starts to happen. Yeah, that is so absolutely true. And so many times us human beings, regardless of whether we're a leader at home, as a stay-at-home parent, or even a working parent, or we're a leader in some kind of an organization, we forget that the quality of our connections, and I, I talk about this a lot in the book, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this, but the quality of our connections are a direct reflection of how honestly we're able to connect with ourself. So that's one of the things I urge folks to do, leaders in every aspect of their life, is to find some way 
to connect honestly to the power of their story. So I know story is really important to you, Jonathan. You know, so take it from there. Like, why is story so important, and how do we connect to the power of our stories? Yeah, life is the story that we tell ourselves, and life is the story in which we begin to operate. And and often, what I see uh, with leaders, and and I've seen this in in kids, they often are caught in a small story. Because as long as we're talking about your TPS reports or your your software conversions, th- those are generally small stories. And but when we invite people into a larger story, a story of where they are valued, a story where they can connect, and and and, and, and you know this, the data on employee engagement is directly correlated to how what I do impacts the larger mission of the organization. If that is clear, that is the single biggest contributor to employee engagement. It's also the biggest way that I can engage my children as they navigate the world and find their own stories. Uh, What is the story that that you want to live? And, And how do we begin to invite them into that larger story? So that's why I think the power of, of, community and connectedness is so potent is because it not only reminds us that we're part of a larger story, uh, but some of the most impactful conversations I've had, Karen, have been friends of mine who remind me of my own story, remind me of where I've come from, remind me who I am in a moment, and remind me where I'm going. Because in the uh, details in the minutia and the hardness of life. We forget that sometimes. So what it is, what a gift it is to sit with people who can remind us of who we really are. Yeah, that that is for sure. And people who hold our stories, Jonathan, lightly. I mean, they might have seen us at our very worst, and yet still they hold that in a way where we feel safe. And we trust them with those details. And not only do they remind us of our story, they help us to redeem it. Because I think us human beings can get stuck in the parts of the story that are painful or wounding so that we start to believe something about ourselves and it takes over our identity. And so we have a hard time moving into healing or restoration, and we keep telling ourselves the same story of, uh, for instance, I grew up in a dysfunctional family, and as a result, I will have trouble with intimacy. I mean, those are some of the things, refrains that people can tell themselves. And so my story, you know, had lots of pain and grief growing up, and From it, I've learned a great deal, like, Lord have mercy. However, I don't want to stay stuck in those patterns. I want to have it be a part of the story of resilience and triumph. People ask me all the time, you know, is, are we as leaders a product of our nature or our nurture? And I think it's a false dichotomy. I think that people often forget their own agency in their stories. 
just because you had a tough childhood, just because you were a single mother, just because whatever your story is, doesn't necessarily uh, inform who you are today. Doesn't necessarily inform where you're going tomorrow. And again, the power part of the power of community is helping us reframe that story and reminding us that where we came from is not necessarily who we are and where we're going. Absolutely. So I, I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. A- absolutely. So, so what painful themes um, did you have to look at about your story, but also learn to move through those, Jonathan? And how did you do that? So I, I, I'll answer that in, in, in form of a, a metaphor. Um, my uh, wife had a, uh, spent a fair amount of time in the hospital with one of our pregnancies. And we had we watched a lot of monitors, uh, and there were every time the bells and whistles went off, some nervous nurse would come in and check things. And so I got pretty good at reading these heart monitors. Uh, my wife had twins, and so we were watching three hearts at any given time. And one of the things um, that we learned there was the the ability to discern each individual's heartbeat at once. The second thing that the nurse taught me at some late night hour was that in order for life to operate, it has to go up and it has to go down. And that there are moments, because on this graph paper, there's three lines. There's the maximum, there's the middle, and there's the minimum. And the heartbeat is the up and down. And when that heartbeat is both up and it's down, that's life. And that's good signs. And so I sat down with counsel and mapped those parts of my story positively and negatively and got honest about where they were. There was uh, these parts of my story that I had forgotten that were really impactful. And so I, the goal was not to move from a negative 10 to a positive 10. The goal was to move a negative 10 and honor that, to learn from that, and to begin to put that in its proper context. And when I played that out over chronology, over my time, I began to see which parts of the story needed to and could be redeemed through uh, asking forgiveness. They could be made whole by having some difficult conversations, um, or they could be resolved and put to bed so that I could move on. Now, that part of of the details of that story are are, uh, not relevant. What's universal is that everybody's got ups and everybody's got downs, and it's in that up and down that we get life. I love, love that. Um, And I think that's what deepens connection to ourselves, to other people, is not putting things, as you said, Jonathan, like not putting things in, like this is the negative bucket or this is the positive bucket. I mean, people do that a lot with emotions, good emotions, bad emotions. Everything belongs. So how can we get away from the labels into embracing everything that happens, every feeling we have, because that's how I believe we become whole. 
That's how we really connect consciously with ourselves. That's how we navigate the chaotic times with a sense of calm. That's how we tap into our courage and resilience is realizing that everything about our story belongs and from it we can garner wisdom and we can also share it in a way where someone says, oh, wow, you too? I thought I was the only one. So our story can become the light that shines on someone else's path. C.S. Lewis says that friendship starts with that question. Me too. And, and, and I love that idea that it is that simple. Um, and it is that vulnerable. And it is the sharing of who we are with, with an invitation to say, you know what, me too. What up? What else? You know, as we as we we both work with leaders, and that's where we spend our our days as we um, work, obviously, Jonathan. And one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot is this great resignation that we're in. You know, people are leaving workplaces in droves. They're saying this don't no longer works for me. There's got to be more to life than this, whatever this is. And the research is showing that people are not leaving companies. They're leaving leaders. They're leaving managers who are not able to show up in a connected kind of a way that demonstrates empathy and authenticity and that creates a psychologically safe place for people in which they can thrive. So I'm just wondering what you think about that. Yeah, people are also leaving their story. They're leaving it either because it's not worth the sacrifice anymore or, or they're leaving for a better story. They're leaving for a, a they're re-signing up. They're signing up again for a, mm-hmm. a new and different story. Uh, and part of that is because people are beginning to see the disintegration, the dissonance between the story that they want to live and the story that they've had to live for a whole bunch of reasons. And when we begin to see that in organizations as filtered through leaders into managers, yeah, we see a dissolution. We see these things beginning to break down in near record numbers. I had a client when the uh, pandemic first started, you know, we, we talk about often how the rising tide lifts all boats. And she said, listen, somebody pulled the plug on this bathtub and we're now beginning to see the holes in the boat mm-hmm. that were already there. And what she was talking about is that this pandemic, at least in the context of her leadership and her organization, is revealing things that were already there, but profits were good enough, people were happy enough. And I think part of what's happening is people are saying, no more. I want a different story. And so there's some tension there. There's some uh, resistance there. And uh, and it's resulting in Georgia, where we are, is the national leader in this great story and in this great resignation and this great redefining of where I put my story and what's it worth to me. And I don't know that companies can answer that, but they're really struggling to. Yeah, they are. And I love the questions because sometimes it's the questions that are more valuable than coming to a quick answer. 
The more we know, the less we know. And so I, I just think it's worth asking the question of what does it mean to be connected? And how do we play that out in our workplaces? And what are people looking for as opposed to rushing to a solution and putting something in place, whether it be a process or a program, just so that the box can be checked? I spent the first part of my career uh, implementing software. And um, I I remember I was working for a, a large company I got a call from my mom, which was unusual midday. And she said, hey, um, you know, dad and I are going to do mission work in Africa. Uh, your brother's overseas studying. Your sister's leading uh, youth on this path. I just graduated with a master's degree in nonprofit management. And I'm getting yelled at about cell phone bills in a call center in mid-America. Mm. And, 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 and I, I, I joke, but I mean this seriously. I had a bit of an existential crisis because I'd spent 18 years learning to help people. And I made more money than my mother, who was a lifelong educator. Uh, and it just, it never sat well with me. And so I spent the first part of that career doing organizational change management, which, as you know, comes from the science of death and dying in the corporations because some very thoughtful, very well-meaning executive was disconnected from the actual work and didn't understand the impact of his or her decisions. And so whether we're talking about connecting the head and heart, whether we're talking about connecting uh, middle America with Texas and Germany and Africa, or whether we're talking about connecting the C-suite to the front lines, this is, or the challenges in organizations happen when there is uh, no connection or when their connection can't flow freely. Uh, I've seen that from, from the very earliest uh, of my career. And I'm beginning to see organizations get honest with that, which that's why models like Agile and, and you know, these software methodologies are so popular and they work so well. It's because they're directly connecting the work to what needs to happen. And, and, and it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. So I love what you say. And here's here it is. You talk about connecting the unconnected. Tell me what that means. For a lot of leaders, uh, I think we forget. You know, we, we come about and we go down life on purpose and on mission. We have things to accomplish, right? The, the leaders that you and I uh, are humbled to sit across the table from, Karen, are folks that are, are generally exceptional. Mm -hmm. They are highly competent. They are highly capable. They are performing well. But we get the call because they've taken the hill, they've peaked the mountain, and they feel lonely. You know, they, the, there's some research that's beginning to say that, uh, you know, for a while, sitting was the new smoking. And they're saying the, the, the next big chronic health crisis is loneliness. Mm -hmm. and, and there is work to be done within leaders to help them connect themselves to their larger mission, to their larger purpose, uh, help leaders connect what they do. As a friend of mine says, we need to match our be with our do. 
who we are as people should come, what we do as people should come as an expression of who we be. And a lot of times what I find is leaders find their identity by what they do. And that at some point along the journey, that's not, it's no longer working. Mm -hmm. And so if I am not defined by what I do, then, then what is it? And it's that letting go that I think we begin to connect and, and reintegrate our stories. We, as the Enneagram folk would tell you, begin to understand the story that we had coming into this world before the world told us to believe something else. Right, right. And we shed that so that we can walk into our, our, our better story, our higher story, our truer story, if, if, if you'll allow the creative grammar. And so that's, I think, why connection is so important. Connection with the people around us, connection with the mission to what, what it is we're trying to accomplish, connection with the organizations in which we're uh, serving, uh, and connections with our own heads, our own hearts. I mean, inner emotions are simply energy in motion. But as leaders, we are often driven so hard, we don't pause to understand that. You know, it's true. We're not ha- we're not leaders having a leadership crisis. We are leaders having a human being crisis, you know, an emotional, relational, spiritual questioning. And when I see leaders moving the needle in their organizations in a sustainable, healthy way, and maybe you see the same thing, Jonathan. It's flowing from them doing the hard work on themselves. 100%. Right? I mean, they've gotten to a point, some crossroads, where they are saying, the money I make, the house I live in, the car I drive, the accolades I get, it is not enough. And I'm tired, really tired, of looking to the outside to help me feel good about what I do. And instead, I need to look to the inside, right? And feel a sense of wholeness about who I am. And I see this over and over again. So I think the pandemic, in some ways, has given us time to really connect and to reflect and to start to realize that it's not so much about information, but it's about transformation, which starts with ourselves. And Pascal says that the greatest threat to man is his inability to sit with his own thoughts. Amen. And I would suggest that's been one of the biggest challenges of the last two years is that people were, whether physically or, or, or not, forced to sit with themselves and they didn't like what they saw. Yeah. And I think that scared some folk. and. Uh, part of what's happened, and, I, and I've experienced this as have you, um, you know, when you're able to go to Bunko or the ball game or to church and have your uh, story kind of well lubricated through these vehicles, and all of that is taken away, as it has been the last two years, we're left to sit in our own stories. So that tells me that community and connection is critical to our mental, emotional, spiritual health. It's why the church has existed in a body since it started, because we are bigger than 
just an individual sport. A buddy of mine like to says, right, Christianity may be an individual decision, but it is a team sport. <laughs> and, that's, and that's part of of that's part of why. Yeah. And so I, I have been encouraged. You have seen people desperate to get back to, I, I really don't like the term normal, but to get back to something healthy or something fluid, a soul well lubricated uh, with good conversation and good wine. We need that in organizations. We need that as people. We need that in neighborhoods. Um, and I think that's going to be what people are going to be clamoring for coming out of this when and ever and however that happens. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that the that this season that we're walking through has enabled many of us to learn to sit with ourselves. Like you were saying, Jonathan, so many of my executive Individuals and also teams have learned the beauty that can come from mindfulness, from some kind of daily reflection, from quiet time, and that it actually energizes them in a way that allows them to look at all of it, to look at the ugly, to look at the really good stuff, to look at the painful stuff. But when we spend time quietly connecting with ourselves, it gives us a sense of our own strength in a way that prepares us to form healthier connections. It's hard to explain it without actually experiencing that. I sat with a uh, commercial real estate leader a couple of weeks ago. And, and in our conversation, uh, we talked about really the last two years. And, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I, I've been in this game a long time. He said, my biggest concern for my organization going forward is that the leaders underneath me, the ones that are taking over, haven't led through the busts of the commercial real estate market the last 40 years. Mm. And he, he said, we've seen volatility the last two years, he Said, but none of these folks have put their houses on the line like I had to do. None of these folks had to put major layoffs in place. And, and, and look, to be clear, he was not wishing ill on anyone. What he was saying is there is something to be said for the cycles. Uh, and, and as you put it, and I don't want to gloss over this, the season that this is. Because if you go talk to folks that lived through the Depression era, those were seasons. They were impactful seasons. Right. My grandmother to the day she died always saved the wax paper that came inside a cereal box. Right. Because, right. because it could be reused. This season affects all of us in, in ways like hopefully nothing else will. And yet it is a season. And there takes some perspective that comes from having climbed that mountain and having been in the valleys that maybe it's just a gray hair. I don't know. But there's something that comes with seeing enough cycles and having enough uh, repetitions at life that we get a little perspective to give us a little moment to recognize that this is a season. And the scripture says this too will pass. Yep. And it's in that season. It's in that heartbeat. This is the down moment. It will come back up. It will. Uh, and how do we maintain presence? in that moment, wherever it is. 
Yeah, because new mercies do come in the in the morning, but we have to wait it out. We have to get through the dark nights. And um, the more dark nights that we walk through, the more we can trust that mercies will be there in the morning. But it's a it's a journey of patience. It's a it's a journey of connection. So before we wrap up, Jonathan, it's been so great to talk to you about all these really impactful, important things. I want to ask you what I ask everybody, and that is, if you could save a seat for anyone and have a connecting conversation with them, who would that be? This is a fun question, and I asked my wife this, and we had a good uh, dinner dialogue about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I came through the list of, of you know, dead mentors that write books and these kinds of things. But what I would love to do, what I am hopeful for, Karen, is to sit at a table with my my father and my son, my grandfather, my grandson, my great-grandfather and my great-grandson, and just look at the table. Because it, if you look, it's the, this idea of the 200-year present. If you'll bear with me just one moment. My grandfather was born loosely in 1920. My son was born in 2010 and will live to be, at least statistically speaking, 80 plus. So he'll live to be, my grandson will be born in uh, 2040, if my math is right. So the thing that connects 1920 and 2120 is me. And so as I think about that line, you know, the idea of connecting 1920 with 2120, I'm that pivot point. And my father changed the direction of my line. What's that line going to look like when I steward it? What's that line? What's the direction of that line that I pass on to my sons? And so I'm saving a seat for these men and, and women, but at least in, in this uh, example, to have a conversation so that we can look uh, at that line and and hold it high, hold it well. Uh, that's what I'm that's what I'm eager for. I really have to take that in, Jonathan. That's quite the answer. And um, I'm so glad you talked about it with your wife. And I just really am moved by that whole image of all of you being around that table. It's pretty powerful, really, really powerful. I, I'm a McCoy, right? I, I've got a, a, I've got a, I come from the Hatfields and the McCoys. I've got a mini series on my family. Not most people do, <laughs> but what I would tell you is, it's not America's finest moment. And so, that's the question we all bring into this. We all come from some story. What do you do with it? Mm-hmm. Amen. Yes, amen. Absolutely, because our stories have been given to us. All of the struggle, the triumphs, every single part, and let's not squander it. So, where can our where can our listeners find you, Jonathan? Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm on the LinkedIn, like uh, you know, like everybody. Uh, I'm also at faithandvalor.com, faithandvalor.com. Um, it's I do some writing out there. It's it's fun, Karen. I'm 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 humbled by this. It's been. Uh, it's been an honor. It's been a ton of fun. And, and again, ho- hopefully this uh, serves people and hopefully this is a, a, a flare out there to shine a light to say you are seen and, and you are honored as a result. 
I hope so. That is why we do this work and this podcast and why we connect. So Jonathan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we hope to have you back soon. And to our listeners, you know where you can find Jonathan. So thanks for tuning in. Your listening means so much, so please hit the subscribe button and join us for the next episode. To tune into the power of connection and transform your life at home and at work, please also get my book, The Connected Leader. It is available on Amazon and all online book retailers. And visit our page, connectedleaderbook.com. Stay connected.